Good morning, church. Thank you so much, Zach and the worship band, for leading us in worship. Happy Chinese New Year. Uh, <laughs> uh, this past Saturday was actually the traditional Lunar New Year in, uh, in Asian countries. And so uh, this is the year of the rat. Uh, uh, weird animal choice, I know, but that's what it is. That's what the tradition says, at least. Uh, well, anyway, so uh, Ch Chinese New Year was this past uh, Saturday. And so uh, for, you know, a lot of uh, Chin Chinese or Asians in, this, in the United States would be celebrating this. And so if you're wondering why uh, everyone's wearing red a lot or, or just, you know, in that sense, that's because it's uh, a new year. And uh, anyway, <laughs> it's a very special holiday, of course. Uh, turn with me to, for, uh, to John 1, 35 to 51. John chapter 1, verse 35 to 51. We're continuing our campus-wide initiative called Who's Your One? Who's Your One is about identifying someone you know that doesn't know Jesus yet and committing to pray for opportunities to share the gospel with that person. Along with this sermon series, we are also including a prayer guide and a devotional to go along with our series. Uh, feel free to grab one at our welcome table if you haven't gotten one already. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty good. And so, uh, anyway, today uh, we are talking about the importance of sharing the gospel with your one. A single person can make a huge impact in the gospel. Uh, one of the most famous writers in the past century was C.S. Lewis. Did you know that before he was known as, like, one of the greatest apologists of the 20th century, that he was actually an atheist? If it weren't for his friends at Oxford, like J.R.R. Tolkien, who were in intentional with sharing the gospel with him, he would have probably never became a Christian. Point. Never underestimate the power of what God can do when sharing the gospel with someone. Right? And this week, we will be exploring a scene where Jesus calls his first disciples and how these disciples made an impact on one another. So let's pray and dig into this text. Uh, God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, speak to us through your word today. Uh, it may not be my words, but yours. Uh, speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So John chapter 1, verse 50, uh, 35 to 51. So in order to dig in, let's do a bit of context. Jesus had gotten baptized by John the Baptist. That's what happened in the previous, in the previous section. And in that moment, all the people were, uh, that were there, especially John, got to see that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God. It wasn't every day that people saw the Holy Spirit descend on someone and God spoke and saying that this is the one who he's pleased with. So that had just happened. And the scene we will be exploring today happens that very next day. So what's happening? The very next day, John the Baptist was hanging out with his two disciples when Jesus walked by. And in that moment, John said, behold, the Lamb of God. And immediately, the two disciples heard John and followed Jesus. Then Jesus saw that John's disciples started to follow him. He asked them what they were seeking. And they responded that they wanted to learn more about his teaching. They wanted to stay with him at night. Uh, which brings to our, us to our first point, which is our goal is to lead others to Christ and not ourselves. So when we're talking about sharing the gospel with our one, remember, we're not trying to get them to follow us. We're trying to show them who Christ is. And so that's verse 35 to 40, right? The next day again, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, 
what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour, that's about 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now remember, before encountering Jesus, John the Baptist had acquired quite a following for preaching, uh, for preaching, right? He was preaching to the people to repent of their sins and be baptized. Notice that what happened in the beginning of this text for today is John the Baptist recognized that the reason his ministry exists is so that he can point people to the Messiah, Jesus. And so he does. And a lot of times it is very easy to get caught up in our own giftings, right? So we see here John the Baptist, who's really talented when he goes and talks, people come and gather from all over to listen and be baptized, right? He's super popular. And out of nowhere comes, it's not out of nowhere, but Jesus comes, comes into the picture and immediately you see he goes and says, this is the person I've been talking about, right? A lot of times it is very easy to get caught up in our own giftings. When the reality is we need to be using our gifts to point people towards Christ. And that is what John the Baptist is doing here in the scene and what we should all do as well. Using our gifts, whatever they may be, to point others towards Christ. A corruption of God's intention for our gifting is using our giftings to point people to ourselves rather than to Christ. Over the past few decades, the prosperity gospel has been gaining a lot of traction, right? It's the gospel that says that if you believe in Jesus, you will be rich financially, you will have good health, you would have all these things. Uh, the problem with this is this prosperity gospel isn't the gospel. They, they, they cherry-pick things from the Bible to make what it say what, it, what they want it to say, right? And this is, over the past decade, few decades, has been gaining traction. But instead, what the gospel is, is not that. The gospel is about how Christ can save us because we are broken and messed up people. And that the ultimate gift that we get is Christ himself when we see him again in heaven. But you, so why is this an issue? So why am I bringing up the prosperity gospel? The reason why I'm bringing this up is because notice that who they point themselves to, right? It's not that whenever you hear about a prosperity gospel person, you don't hear about their church. You hear about their name. You hear about Cliff Dollar, Joel Olstein. You hear about uh, Paul, Paula, all these, all these different people. You hear their names, and what's important there, right, isn't what the message they're saying, but the fact that they are such an amazing speaker, that they're so, so good at doing the, the pop psychology thing where you're like, oh, I feel better about myself after I listen to what they say. Man, I need to keep on listening to what they have to say. But that is not the gospel, nor is that what the role of pastor is. The role of a pastor is to lead others to follow Christ. The role of Christians in general is not to lead others to yourself, but lead others to see Christ in you. So our goal is to lead others to Christ and not ourselves. So I gave a you know, broad illustration, right? So how does this apply to us personally? 
how do we know we fall into drawing people to ourselves rather than Christ? An example of this is if the person you're discipling is always looking to you for answers in discipleship or Bible study and haven't learned to look at the word for themselves. During my time in college, there was a group of students who had a massive misunderstanding of discipleship. They would say that their spiritual walk with Jesus is going well because they meet with person X for discipleship, and person X was the most important part of their spiritual walk. Sure, that might be the fault of the disciple for thinking that. But the one who disciples must be constantly pointing their disciples to Christ. Because what ends up happening, right, is that though we, there were these conversations within the fellowship that was a part of. They were saying, man, I follow this person. And man, this person knows what he's talking about. You need to come to our Bible study because this person is awesome. That's not, that's not the point. That's not the point of this. Sure, it's cool to hang out with people. But the point of discipleship is more than just hanging out and living life with people. It's about pointing and encouraging one another towards Christ. That is always the goal. It's never anything other than that. Anything other than that is a corruption of the gospel. When you are discipling people, you're giving them the tools they need to follow Jesus for themselves. That is the goal of discipleship. Because if you're not doing that, then instead you are becoming their mediator instead of Christ. And that is not okay. And that is a problem. Your goal in discipleship is to give the tools to the, your disciples what they need to follow Jesus for themselves. Brothers and sisters, our goal is to lead others to Christ and not ourselves. We have no power to save. We have no strength to cure. And definitely we have no, no merit to boast. None. Our only boast, our only strength, and our only power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is he that saves. It is he who cures. And it is him we boast. We must lead others to Christ and not ourselves. We must lead others to Christ and not ourselves. Here's my second point. Uh, commit to being an intentional witness. Verse 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What happens? After hearing John the Baptist say that Jesus was the Lamb of God, Andrew had to see for himself what that meant. So he followed Jesus home. And after following Jesus for a night, he decided to follow Jesus. But his commitment to Jesus didn't just end there. He immediately went to tell his brother, Peter, about Jesus. And immediately, right, that's what happens. Immediately he goes and tells his brother about what he found out. He told them that he found out that this was the Messiah they've been looking for. 
And so this is, so that, that word, if you've been in church, you've heard this word a lot, right, Messiah. Like, it doesn't, a lot of times because of that, we don't get much, uh, it doesn't connect with us. But this, during that time, it was a huge deal that he was calling him the Messiah because God has been silent for over 400 years. So the writing of the Old Testament, right? Old Testament was written, and then for 400 years, there was complete silence. And the last thing that was heard was a prophecy saying that there will be a Messiah that will come and deliver the Israelites and deliver them from captivity. This was important. And that's why when Andrew says that to Peter, he knew exactly what he was talking about, that he had found the one, the one that everyone's been waiting for. Andrew didn't skip a beat. He went immediately to tell his brother about this Messiah. How does it relate to us today? Sometimes when someone first decides to follow Jesus, they can't wait to tell everyone what they found, the beauty of the gospel, right? However, sometimes when you have been a Christian for a while, the urgency and the excitement begins to wear off. You forget about the importance of being intentional in sharing the gospel. We, but the thing is, we believe that the gospel saves and that all those who do not know the gospel are simply continuing in their broken state that leads to destruction. John 3.17, right? But that shouldn't be the driving force or driving factor as to why we share the gospel. We should intentionally share the gospel because we have seen and experienced God's love for ourselves and want to share that with others. Have you ever had uh, a good piece of steak? When you've had a good piece of steak, you have to tell the people about it. Because the moment the juices, if you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry, I'll think of another illustration for you later. But when you bite into that first bite of that good piece of steak, and I know some of you guys in the room and over social media have disagreed with me as to what that is. But point is, is when you had the steak the way you like it, you immediately say, oh, that is so good. And then you tell the person next to you, that's so good. And if you're, uh, if you're nice enough, you say, hey, you should try some, right? The reason why we share the gospel, sure, there is one side of it that's saying those things. But on the other side of it, we want to share the gospel because it is good news to us. Because we have tasted and seen that God is good and that he loves us. And so let that be the driving force for us to be intentionally trying to witness. Because, man, it's so easy for me to shout out the gospel of a steak right? It's so easy for us to shout out the gospel of the things we love. Is not Christ one of those things, Christian? So my question for you today is this. Are you being intentional in witnessing to those around you about the gospel? This doesn't mean, don't hear me say this, this doesn't mean we beat them over the head with the gospel. That doesn't work. It means using the gifts and the resources that God has given you to point others to Christ so that they can see for themselves who Jesus is. That means spending time with someone that doesn't know Jesus. It means getting to know them. If there's anything that I've learned about people is that they can pick out fakeness a mile away. 
people can very easily see right through you if you're trying to get them for the sake of a number rather than trying to share the gospel because you want to know them and because you love them. They can very easily see that. They can very easily see that you don't care about them, that you don't love them. So get to know the people around you who don't know Christ. Get to know what they love, get to know what they care about, and connect with them on a real level. That's what it means to be an intentional witness and committing to be an intentional witness. You have to care about your message and care about the person you share your message with. Both of those are needed. You can have all the right knowledge, but if you don't love the person, the end of that story is that that person goes away hating you, even though you told them the best news they can possibly hear. Continuing on in the text, verse 30, uh, 43 to 50. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So we're continuing our story, right? Jesus moves on into Galilee where he finds Philip and called him to follow him. What John, the writer of this gospel, highlights is, an, uh, is this interesting note, right? That Philip is from Bethsaida, just like Andrew and Peter. Uh, the text doesn't give this uh, more than that, give us more detail than that, right? But this allowed me to speculate a little bit. I would assume because of this, the, the, the writing there, that it's possible that Philip... Andrew and Peter had known each other. Maybe they were even friends, you know? But it, so maybe Andrew and Peter talked about Philip while they were heading towards Galilee to Jesus. And Jesus decided to call Philip as a disciple as well, right? And immediately follow, after following Jesus, he went and found a friend. And this Peter, Philip, right? What did Philip do the moment that, that he heard Jesus told him to come follow him. He immediately went to find someone else to, to tell about Jesus as well. We see that Philip did a similar thing to Andrew. And when Andrew began following Jesus, he himself got a glimpse of who Jesus was and had to share it. He just had to share. Do you guys notice a pattern? When you're reading this text, do you notice a pattern? We have here John the Baptist point out to his disciples that uh, to point out to his disciples uh, that Jesus was the Messiah or Jesus was the Lamb of God because he had seen who Jesus was. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, had to see for himself who this Jesus was, then followed him. After that, Andrew, who had to, Andrew had to tell his brother, Peter, to come and see for himself who this Jesus was. And then he also followed Jesus. And on the very next day, right, Jesus called Philip to follow him. And so he did. And then what? He immediately went to find his friend, Nathaniel, and tell him that the prophets and Moses have talked about this man they are following. Do you guys, do you guys see the pattern yet? Someone hears about Jesus from someone else, sees for themselves who this is and the goodness of who this person is, and they follow him. And then after they follow him, what happens? They go immediately to tell others about him, to tell others that they found Jesus, the Messiah, the one who take, will take away the sins of all of us. 
Commit to being an intentional witness. Which brings me to my final point. Share the gospel. Jesus will do the rest. Verse 46 to 51. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. There it is again, right? Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Verse 48. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, are you the son of God? You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When Philip told Nathanael that he had found the one that everyone's been looking for, Nathanael's a little skeptical. He even kind of disses Jesus, right? He kind of is like, Nazareth? Really? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, but notice Philip's response. He didn't try to argue or fight back. He just said, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Philip knew that once he had met Jesus, Nathanael would see for himself who this Jesus was. And Jesus didn't disappoint, did he? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a famous Baptist preacher of, uh, of all time, right? That's what most people would say he is, one of the greatest uh, preachers of all time, uh, has this cool quote. Uh, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend himself, right? I think this, this quote sums up what Philip does, right? For those of you wondering about the significance of, of the Nazareth comment, right? Most scholars believe that Galilee and Nazareth were like rivals, kind of like how we, uh, you know, we have the Atlanta Falcon fans and the Saints fans, right? And so people from uh, New Orleans hate people from Atlanta because of the, the, the Saints, Saints Falcons rivalry, right? That is, so that's kind of like what's going on here, right? We have this, we have this guy that's like, for real, Nazareth, Atlanta, Georgia, really? Anyway, sorry if you're from there. I don't mean any harm by that. It's just, you know, most people in New Orleans feel that. You know, you, if you're from New Orleans, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but how does Jesus respond to this diss? He reminds them of their shared heritage. Verse 42, 47. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus levels with him and reminds him that they are the same people and that he knows he didn't mean any deceit by that, deceit to him. But Nathaniel bites back again, right? Uh, you don't know me, right? That's what the text says, you don't know me. But Jesus, with his patience, again talks to him and says that he saw him before Philip even thought to call him over, and he saw him under a fig tree. And then the text does this weird twist, right? Because like he was super skeptical, dissed Jesus, and then out of nowhere it says, then, then it's like Nathaniel saw the truth, right? Then he saw the truth, and, that, and he's like, Jesus, you are the son of man. You are, you are the king of Israel. So what happened here? 
for us, it's like, what happened in this text here? Like, it, it just seems like, okay, he knew I was sitting under the tree. Big deal. But instead, he's like, whoa, what happened here? So what's interesting is uh, it was known in Jewish cult customs as someone who was serious about studying the scriptures and reflecting on God's actions in history would sit under a fig tree or an olive tree or a vine. That was, that was known for well, in Jewish custom of what was being done. Uh, they do that in order to contemplate scripture. And as a result, Jesus' reply probably confirmed Jesus' earlier statement about Nathanael being an authentic Israelite and took note of the fact that Nathanael was someone who seriously studied about Israel's hope in Scripture. In that moment, Nathanael saw Jesus knew his heart, right? In that moment, we saw that very clearly, that Jesus saw right to where he, what, what his thoughts were. And he responded to that. And he responded to that. Jesus knew him and knew exactly how to meet him where he was. Jesus did the work for Philip, right? We see that Philip says, come and see this Jesus. And Jesus didn't disappoint. A lot of times sharing the gospel can be really scary. But know this. Our job is to be obedient, to bring people to know Jesus so they can see Jesus through us and know him and truly know him. God can use you because he's using you, using you so that they can see him. And you know what else is awesome about this text as we continue reading in it? Uh, we continue, as we continue in the text, Jesus gives Nathaniel uh, says, he, he's like, wow, you saw that, you saw, you see me see this, right? And then he says what? And then he says, the next thing he says is that you will see even greater things. You will see even greater things. When we put our faith in Jesus, he will continue to show us so much more than we can imagine. He will show us so much more than we can imagine. A little personal testimony. About 10 years ago, God called me to be a pastor. And uh, I would have never believed it if someone told me 10 years ago uh, that I would be in Louisiana serving as a pastor. I'm a kid from Brooklyn who's never been to New Orleans. Actually, let alone I've never been to Texas where I was before New Orleans. But you know what? Ever since I had said yes to follow Jesus in this way, I have seen people in impacted by my ministry in so many different ways. Do not underestimate what God can do through you because I'm not this special great person. I'm just an average person from New York. But God chose to use me because I was willing. He can use you in whatever circumstance, in whatever situation you're in. He can use you for his glory as well. Have confidence when you go and share the gospel. Jesus will do the heart work that is required for people to come to him. Our jobs are like these disciples, directing people to Jesus and saying, come and see, come and see. A really cool um, book, but movie also. So for those of you guys who don't like books that like movies or those of you who like, you know, vice versa, 
uh, is this book called A Case for Christ. A Case for Christ is, a, is a, written by a guy named Lee Strobel, who was a, I guess you can call it journalist in, uh, in Chicago, uh, a well-renowned journalist. And what happened is, uh, through a series of events, his wife comes to know Jesus, and he himself was an atheist. And because of that, he, set, he made it his life mission to, to disprove Jesus. He made it his life's mission. And that as he continued to search, empirically search through all the different cases and, and, and arguments against Christ, he began to see who Christ was. In that moment, people were saying to him, go, come and see. Come and see. And as each individual doubt he had or each individual uh, argument he had against Christianity began to melt away. Began to, he began to see as he dug deeper into the research that all these, these accusations against, uh, against Christ were, were no accusations. That, they was, that Christianity had answers to them. It's, it's crazy because a lot of times, right, we have people who say, oh, I can't follow Christ because, you know, there are just so many things that disprove him. Or there's so many things that, do, uh, that, that, that prove that he's untrustworthy. But do you know there's more than 2,000 years worth of people who have seen and tasted that God is good and are testimony to what he has done in their lives? God is now turned Lee Strobel to one of the uh, most important people for, for sharing the gospel. God can use you. Because our goal and job is to say to people, come and see what Christ has done. Because he has done great things and he has changed my life. As you continue to pray for your one, pray that God will give you opportunities to point people to him. Christians, your goal is to lead others to Christ Jesus and not yourself. Commit to being intentional witnesses of the gospel and share it. Share the gospel. Jesus will do the rest. Show them Jesus. Don't get in the way. Like we talked about last week, right? Don't be the crowd that gets in the way. Let people see Jesus. Some of you today might, uh, might not be Christians here that might not know Jesus today. Uh, my Invitation is to you to come to know him. Come and see. Come to our small groups. Come, uh, come to our, our church events. Come to see from our community who this Jesus is because he has changed our lives. And ultimately, I'll, I'll summarize what Jesus has done for us, right? We were broken and messed up. There's no way for us to get back towards God. But because God loved us so much, he came to this world, Jesus Christ, his, the word become flesh. He came into this world to live the life we couldn't, relating with us, but without sin, and died the death that we deserved, and then raising again from the dead. And by raising again from the dead, he giving us hope that even though the end of all of us in this room is death, but for those that know Christ, that's not the end. He has given us so much more because you see from the very beginning, God has always wanted relationship with us. He created us to be loved by him, but we decide to break that relationship. So if you don't know Christ today, 
come and see. Come and see. And as this, this last song plays, if you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, I'll be in the back. Come and talk with me. Laura will be in the back as well if, if, if you want to go talk with a lady. But come and see that God is good. He won't drop you. This is the testimony of the people in this room. It's a testimony of the Christians of over 2,000 years. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much that you love us and that you care about us and that you made us to be loved by you. So God, help us to respond to that love you've given us. Help us to come and see what you have done. And God, help us to have the courage to share the gospel with the person we have on our one. God, do something amazing through our church today. Uh, Thank you so much for your grace. Speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.